Matters of the Mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. When she comes to greet me, well, hello there, and how are you? This is Dr. Peter Sacco. The Psych Doc is online. Welcome to Matters of the Mind. With me always is my co-host and producer, Todd Miller. How are you, Todd? Good day. Doing really, really good. Excited. And this about- ought to be a really fun episode. I was doing some research today on the topic, and uh, it just struck me that, you know, while we've had zombie movies around for quite some time, it hasn't really reached the cultural magnitude that it has in the last I would say, what, maybe three to five years? Oh, it's just, how should we say? Everybody is kind of being bombarded by the walking dead, so to speak. Yes, the uh, critical appreciation for the undead. Absolutely. You know what's really, really fun, Todd? I'm going to just kind of, for those listening who are walking dead fans like myself, or back to George Romero, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, all that kind of stuff. On Monday, April 14th, the Toronto Sun... Posted in an interview slash write-up that St. John's, Newfoundland, is the safest Canadian city in, quote-unquote, a potential zombie apocalypse. That's according to the University of Alberta engineering graduate student, Michael Ross, who developed a scoring system that rates Canada's 20 biggest cities on their ability to fend off an invasion by the undead. And what came about this was basically that the bigger metropolis has more brains for the zombies to eat. Therefore, something like Toronto, along with Montreal and Vancouver, are very attractive. However, places like Newfoundland or places that are next to military bases, where there's a high ratio of gun ownership and less people, are better equipped to resist the walking dead. That That is interesting. It makes me almost want to pack up. And uh, I was doing some research on our guests today and, and the wonderful company that he belongs to. And uh, it, it sort of reminded me of uh, Ghostbusters in many ways. You know, if you don't have the skills and tools to, uh, to do it yourself, then there's someone you can call. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because our guest, uh, Alex, I'll have on in a bit. Actually, I've known him professionally, uh, not as a zombie hunter or none of that stuff, uh, back in the day. And he's a really cool, really cool guy. And it's really funny to get his take on it. And I just kind of, while he came about to become beyond my show, I ran into him all places at the supermarket. Um, you know, and he was, I guess, stocking up just in case of this zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I saw this meme floating around on Facebook where it said that. Uh, you know, if you want to avoid zombies, go to like a Sam's Club or a Costco because there's lots of concrete. Obviously, there's lots of supplies so that you can outweigh the zombies. But the zombies would need a membership card so they couldn't get in. So it's kind of a lighthearted look at zombies. That actually would be kind of cool. And if you, for anybody who has a chance to read this article in the Toronto Sun, especially if you are into zombies, walking dead and all that kind of stuff, here's some really cool information as well, too. Did you know that cold weather? also turns off zombies in two of Canada's best places 
to dodge these flesh eaters, according to this article, are Edmonton and Regina, which are notoriously frigid much of the year. And also, places in southern Ontario, this is an actual quote, are a zombie buffet in waiting because they are densely settled people are less likely to own guns. And there aren't many major military bases nearby. And also, the area is very hot and humid, and it's perfect zombie hunting, or how should we put it up? Human hunting for zombies, as it would turn out. Wow. Now I've got three places I need to think about moving to. Edmonton. Uh, what was the other one? Was it Regina? Regina and, is a very good place. And St. John's, because it's just... I guess the smaller population, you know, if there were going to be a, a zombie apocalypse or a migration, they wouldn't necessarily move to Newfoundland because there's uh, the population is not as great. Exactly. So we would we want to you know be careful with that. And it's kind of cool. The reason I bring the show up, uh, we talked about this on the show, is because I guess one of the questions we're going to ask Alex this when he comes on our show: Are we actually scaring ourselves silly? You brought up before, Todd. You know, ghosts. Um, it's kind of neat, and I, and I and I guess we kind of can throw this out in a roundabout way. Say that you get a TV series, and I remember when this came out, Lost, which I was a huge fan of the show. Uh, I actually wasn't one to really be perturbed by the series finale. I actually kind of thought it was cool. But with that said, I remember when Lost first came out, it's based on a plane crash. As the show, you know, the first couple episodes taught, a lot of people started to fear flying. Then, you know, you, you get this uh, a while back, the goth movement, where you gothic, where you had a lot of people into vampires and all that stuff. So in, in really disturbing terms, you actually had people sharing blood and biting each other's necks and sucking blood, which for health reasons, which is, you know, not a very good idea and definitely, you know, potentially disease hazardous. And now we've got this whole zombie thing. And, you know, Walking Dead has now just finished its fourth season. And with that said, it's almost like this has not gone away. People are really expecting for this zombie thing to happen. And some people, Todd, are stockpiling for this potential zombie apocalypse event. You know, it's funny because when, when we first you first proposed this topic and I thought, oh, yeah, it's all going to be fun and games and lighthearted. And, and, and I know that Walking Dead and I, I'm big admission here. I've never seen an episode, but I recently got Netflix. So I'm going to start catching up with the rest of you. Um, but, you know, I thought it was all lighthearted. But there are uh, there is a significant portion of the population that believe this will happen and that there needs to be a militia such as Zombie Squad, to uh, to intervene on our behalf for those of us who don't have uh, firearms and flamethrowers and whatever else that you're going to need. And interesting, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and it kind of begs to ponder. If it wasn't zombies or if this kind of runs its gambit, um, what is next? And you know what's kind of really interesting with this, Todd, how, is it tie how it ties together and how I think uh, you really do get it, but more at, I guess, an entertainment level is you can first make the case of the Salem witch hunt trials, um, where which is basically paranoia, um, distrust, suspicious minds, if you want to call it, which eventually, you know, you fast forward the Salem witch hunts and the witch trials into McCarthyism, which was then communist hunting, this looking, well, everybody must be a communist, um, you know, everybody's a spy, and a lot of this tied into the Cold War. We went through this phenomenon, if you think about it, up until the Berlin Wall came down. And if you want to go one step further, which is kind of intriguing by this whole notion of how we scare ourselves silly, after 9-11, we went through this flying frenzy fear where, oh my gosh, what if so-and-so, just by the way they're dressed, 
racial profiling is resulting to terrorism, which got even really silly. And in many ways, it was it was racism in a very, you know, disturbing way, how some people are just being picked on because of their race or because of what they're wearing. Therefore, they must be terrorists because they were being associated to it. And it's kind of like there's this new shift now where it's kind of gone. And I've had some uh, listeners bring this, you know, they wanted to hear about this kind of stuff. Is this comparable to the zombie apocalypse? Is it comparable to these bomb shelters of nuclear fallout should an atomic war start? And I think that's kind of a cool way of looking at it, Todd, that this is perhaps a new paranoia, but more of a intriguing, entertaining paranoia, which some people brought to my attention. It's like it replaces SARS and H1N1. Yeah, and I guess, but I guess there's a bit of a, a thrill or a rush uh, when you consider this, it's uh, thrill-seeking in some respects. I mean, some people probably embrace the thought of a zombie apocalypse with a bit of, you know, relish and a bit of, whoa, this is going to be great. And, you know, they get, they get when they watch the show, uh, Walking Dead, they probably feel that, that rush of adrenaline when they're watching it and thinking, okay, maybe I could be part of this, maybe not. But uh, interesting nonetheless. Absolutely. And we're going to have our guest on after this commercial break, but we're going to forewarn, forewarn you before we go there. First of all, anything that you hear on this show today, Todd or myself, do not endorse it or encourage going zombie hunting tonight, tomorrow, or what after, or buying any of this equipment, believing that there are zombies out there, and that you should go and build your own, you know, yourself a shelter, so to speak. I don't know, is that about cover it all bases Todd I think it covers it I'm still uh, working on my Triffid gear so that I could you know invade invasion of the tri the Triffids I read that <laughs> book again recently and it uh, scared me so I have no time for zombies right now very cool and so listen, those listening we got a really special guest this is gonna be really cool as we are going to talk about the zombie apocalypse or the zo potential zombie apocalypse could one really happen and what if just what if which some people would say there's a better chance of this happening than winning the 649. I doubt it because people have won the 649, but yet we've seen a zombie, yet to see a zombie, so to speak. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You, of course, are listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. And do you have technological rage? Oh, yeah. The new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting, Facebooking, or online dating? Maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, the Psych Doc. Myself, Dr. Peter Psycho, is on line, so to speak, with my co-host, Todd Miller. And Okay, Todd, I'm going to try to really, really, really keep a straight face now. I know I was kind of chuckling um, with this we need story. To, we need to get serious on this this topic. Well, this was, uh, it was funny, though. you got to admit, the Toronto Sun thing, they can really come up with some zingers. It's all about ratings, isn't it? 
Absolutely, which is kind of cool. And as promised, we've got a really special guest. I know this guy. He's a really cool cat, really cool dude all the way around. Alex Rakochevich. And Alex is a really cool guy because actually he's studies in culinary skills. But what we have him on our show is he is the president of the Zombie Squad, the Southern Ontario chapter. Hello there, Alex. How are you? Hi, Peter. I'm great. How are you today? Exceptional. So... I guess the very first question, which is, I, I guess, a really cool question to ask because we've had people who listen want to know this. How serious is the real, true, honest-to-God threat of a real zombie apocalypse happening? I would say the threat of an actual, real, honest-to-God zombie apocalypse is uh, fairly low. Now, there's a lot of analogs that behave very similar, but what you're seeing on television, zombies raising from the grave can only kill them by shooting them in the head, trying to eat your flesh. I'd say it's a very low probability of that actually happening. Okay, so I guess uh, we, we, we've chatted about this. The, the more common one, obviously, that we see about, because it is the, probably the biggest TV show on right now, currently, I will you know, admit that I love Walking Dead. It's one of the biggest best shows on TV. I've followed it now for four years. And actually, I had the great fortunes of, uh, at a recent Comic-Con where we were there for Niagara's Most Haunted, um, actually hanging and meeting um, Irony Singleton, who was T-Dog on The Walking Dead, who they eventually killed off. And you've got these shows that are really popular, Alex, but before that you had, you know, like 28 days later, um, you had definitely Dawn of the Dead, Shaun Night of the, of the Living Dead, Shaun of the Dead, Warm Bodies, which is out there, you know, that movie, which is actually pretty popular. So what would be more realistic, I guess, from your point of view, Alex, as a zombie fan and as somebody that's got a club based on this, what would be the more realistic type of zombie? Well, there's always the possibility of a disease that will mimic some of the symptoms of a zombie apocalypse. It'd be very possible to have, you know, a viral disease that was causing people to become more aggressive and biting each other and spreading the disease through that sort of method. There's a perfect example in rabies out there already. Uh, it would have to be a lot faster acting for it to be a real threat. But that sort of thing does already exist in nature. Okay, so we were talking about the parallels or the comparisons Todd and I were. Um like SARS to SARS or H1N1 and once again it always comes up you get the idea of if we go back in time the plague so something like the plague would you say that this is a fair comparison I would say that a zombie apocalypse would be a fair comparison to something like that now granted you would need to have a specific agent that was able to affect people's minds to have quite the same level of danger but there there's a lot of different comparisons you can make between any major disease or pandemic and a zombie apocalypse. The, the whole thing that we do is getting people ready for disasters, and there are a lot of similarities between, you know, a flu pandemic and a zombie apocalypse. And if you're prepared for one, you're prepared for both. Okay, I, I can see that, granted. But unlike um, a pandemic, um, 
it would almost seem that this is, uh, I guess, a way to to get the public to deal with the problem directly rather than um, with a pandemic. You'd have, oh, I don't know, the, the WHO that would be involved and, and the, the CDC, you know, uh, Center for Disease Control. Uh, this would be like just people walking around, you know, chomping on people. So it would be sort of like, I guess, frontier justice in one respect. In, in a lot of ways, yeah. In a zombie apocalypse, you would have a lot of people trying to defend themselves and fighting out their, off their neighbors. And you're going to see similar problems to that in our modern society with any severely major disaster, whether it be a zombie apocalypse or a plague that wipes out 50% of humanity or an EMP that knocks out the entire power grid. You're still going to have to worry about your fellow man. One way or another, whether they're smart or not, it's still a concern. Okay, so I'll go with this, and I'm going to play a little bit with this, because this is where, I, I guess we use a monsterish comparison, almost like it's metaphorical that this plague disease or whatever it is becomes a monster. And here's where I toot my own horn, guys. I wrote a book called Midnight Eclipse, so anybody listening, check this out. In the book, Midnight Eclipse, it's actually about vampires. I would say I'm one of the first authors to actually take a really historical stab at where they really could have come and with that said one of the analogies i use in comparisons is basically shallow graves that were based on tuberculosis and consumption and how this went was people would see quote unquote you know the dead they would dig out these crypts and then they would see that the hair had grown on them the nails had grown and then there'd be blood around their mouths and so after a couple of people had seen these, they said, oh my gosh, they must be coming out at night and feeding because of the blood. Because they never really understood the whole notion of tuberculosis. And actually, this is a premise I used within this book to explain where real vampire, if it hypothetically could have transpired where it came from. So basically what I did, Alex, is I took a disease, a virus, if you want to put it that way, and made it into a monster. Is that a fair assumption to say this is what would happen in terms of what you guys would look at? Oh, it's a, a virus or a disease that's out there that could mimic the signs of zombies is definitely possible. Something that would be out there and affecting the brain and, you know, making people either hyper-aggressive or just mindless and wandering around, absolutely. You could have parallels drawn between the rabies virus and zombieism straight up very, very easily. So for those of us that have have seen The Walking Dead, maybe we were considered experts, but some of us haven't seen it. So what are the, the hallmarks of a zombie? What are the, you know, maybe the top five signs that um, someone that hasn't seen one or, or, or would want to recognize one more easily? What would, do you have any? Well, there's, there's a few, uh, few things that kind of fall across every zombie. Uh, the appearance of death or mindlessness is pretty common amongst every type of zombie you'll see out there. You know, the shambling gait, the slow movement, the kind of glassy eyes, no real intelligence to speak of. Pretty much every type of zombie out there hungers for human flesh in one way or another. They're either trying to eat people or aggressively attacking them. It all depends on what sort of mythos you're going for. Uh, there's also the very common trope of you can only kill a zombie by shooting it in the head. Now, that's not in every zombie mythos, but it does find itself in most of the tropes. It's kind of the basic points you see across all different zombies, and then it's all a matter of which particular world you're looking at from there. 
That's funny. You, I thought you were talking about politicians there when you first started talking. You know, mindlessness and. <laughs> but, so, so there are some recognizable signs. And so, is the mind fully compromised when a person becomes a zombie? You said no real intelligence, but obviously there's some enough that they know they need to keep themselves alive somehow. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the entire zombie genre. It's not one set of lore going across the entire entire spectrum. There's a lot of different types of lore depending on what type of movie, or as we call it, zombie documentaries, you're actually watching, and it gives you an idea of... It's all based on which particular one you're watching. Um, most of them have mindlessness. Some of them have far more intelligent zombies. If it's a supernatural-based zombie plague in a movie, you'll suddenly see, you know, much more intelligent zombies. So let me ask you this, Alex. I don't know like what your thoughts of this would be or your organization. I guess to take it really serious, in a serious sense, um, there is a famous um, entobotanist and researcher named Wayne Wade Davis, um, which he wrote a book and published in 1985, where he investigated Haitian voodoo or Voden, which was the process of making zombies, and he went down there to Haiti to study um, the case of a, you know, of a modern day, if you want to call it a reported case of a contemporary zombie. Um, I believe it was Clairvias, Narcisse, something like that. And what he found was that you could hypothetically make the zombification process by using tetrodotoxin, which is actually an ingredient which is a poison derived from the puffer fish, which ironically, I actually have one in my saltwater tank. And interestingly, Haitian shaman would create this concoction, if you want to call it. And this was actually used as a curse. And a part of it was, you know, he could bring the person back, you know, with the antidote, which almost like, you know, an anti-venom sort of thing with snakes. So with this, would you guys even consider this? A zombie, according to your classification, this type where you're actually giving person tetrodotoxin, this poison, putting them almost in this comatose state, and then being able to bring them back. I'm sure that the standard voodoo zombies have something to do with the modern lore of zombies. That's probably where the mindlessness comes from, because that's likely something that's actually happened back there. Uh, as far as our organization goes, we're Zombie Squad's all about getting pre- people prepared for disasters. And prepared for the zombie apocalypse. In that particular case, uh, that that person who is the zombie would not be a dead person to begin with, and they're also not necessarily attacking others. They're more just sort of drugged up and being mind controlled. So we wouldn't really view them as a threat so much. I was really spending a lot of time on your website today, and and just amazed at the amount of of great you know information there, but also seminars. You do a lot of charity work around. Um, around your initiative as well, but and I've got so many questions. Um, I guess the first one I want to ask you is, um, what do you attribute this um, popularity of the zombie culture? I don't really want to call it a culture, but um, a lot of people love The Walking Dead. They love Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, Army of Darkness. What do you attribute that to? Well, I'd say that zombies are probably one of the scariest movie monsters out there. Uh, Some people would disagree with me. They'll say, you know, you can get away from zombies, you can fight them real quick. But I think it goes very powerfully into the human psyche. Um, Zombies kind of 
completely violate the human sense of tribe. Uh, when you've got a zombie apocalypse going on, your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, they're the ones that become your enemy. We have a society who, as a whole, is not really accustomed to doing things for themselves. You know, very few people know how to grow all their own food and heat their home and build their home. And, you know, they don't know how to hunt necessarily and butcher an animal. They don't know how to do things for themselves. So when the society falls apart and the people they're counting on are no longer there, that brings up a certain level of anxiety and fear. What I'd say is that it's, it's the ultimate in terror. Who wants to think about, you know, their family, their parents, their children attacking them and trying to kill them? And as you bring up a valid point, it could be anyone. It could be Mrs., uh, you know, Grandma Jones down down the road who really doesn't pose a threat in everyday life, but all of a sudden, you know, she gets infected or uh, taken over, and she becomes a viable threat. Oh, That's absolutely. She's got teeth, well, okay, so she's got false teeth, but, you know, <laughs> she's going to take a little bit longer to devour you, but, you know, that's my point. I mean, you, you, every day you look at these people and you go, what a nice what a nice lady, keeps a nice house, good garden, and then the next minute she's, you know, trying to rip your door off. Oh, absolutely, and that's, that's one of the things in the zombie culture. Some of the most memorable moments you ever see in a movie are the ones that really shake up your sense of what it is to be a zombie. My favorite example for that is... Dawn of the Dead 2005, where the little neighbor girl breaks into the house and attacks Sarah Polly's character's husband right off the beginning. And it's, it's just a terrifying scene because it's this little girl on roller skates that she had seen just the night before, and it's suddenly attacking her. That movie was shot just not far away from where I actually am situated, and it was fascinating after I learned where it was shot to go and drive by and go, wow, they made that movie up there. Very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's neat how the setting for the zombie movies doesn't have to be foreign, like in a lot of horror movies. It's completely familiar, and that's part of what makes it so terrifying. You know, it's really interesting. I'm glad you bring this up in terms of, you know, this fear factor, so to speak, on what are we, you know, most afraid of in terms of the monsters, you know. And I had put this poll out there. I would asked friends, and I asked some of my uh Fans, read, readers of my books and that stuff, what would you consider the scariest sort of monsters or creatures? And it's interesting. Um, most of them actually said it would be um, walkers because of just how ugly they are. They're dilapidated. They're decaying. They're disgusting. And that was actually closely followed by mummies. <laughs> then it was werewolves. Then it was vampires, but a lot of, get the, and I'm not going to stereotype here, but a lot of women said, but vampires, some of them are very sexy. So <laughs> they're not scary. But you want to know what was really interesting, Alex? What people said were the scariest, mm -hmm. above and beyond walkers. They said what could really trump the walker or the zombie is if it was a walker or a zombie that was once a clown that got bitten when they were a clown, and now they're a walking clown. Oh, no. And that's, that's, Right there, there's a lot of people who have a fear of clowns already, and there's a lot of people who, for whom clowns are very familiar, and the concept of a zombie clown just turns on its head everything they know from their childhood, because a clown represents, for, for some people, they hate them. For other people, it's a very familiar, loving thing from childhood, and turning it into a monster is all the more terrifying. Especially and I think Stephen King had a lot to do with that oh. with this book. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then when, the when Tim Curry dressed up as Pennywise, I think that did, kind of did it. Yeah, it was time. terrifying. I could see that, yeah. Like Tim Curry coming at me with, you know, missing a limb or, you know, hobbling. I mean, he's, he's horrifying at the best of times, especially in the Home Alone movies. But boy, as a, 
as a zombified clown or a walking dead clown, that would just be out of this world. I don't know. With Tim Curry, a walking dead Frankenfurter would be pretty terrifying, too. <laughs> that actually would be. In fact, one of the things that was interesting, Alex, people had said if Oompa Loompas really existed from the original <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they would trump them all. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Well, there's my Halloween costume for next year. Tim Curry as a, as a walking uh, Frankenfurter. I like that. Before we go to our next break, I just want to ask Alex, and maybe you, you might have an opinion on this, Todd. Uh, if you've ever watched the show Deadliest Warrior, I'm sure you have, Alex. Mm-hmm. They did that one episode on vampires versus walkers, zombies, mm-hmm. and the vampire won. Did you like that, the fact that the vampire would win in a fight? As long as the vampire was actually immune to the zombie virus, I think they would win in a fight. However, if uh, they were susceptible, I think they'd go down real quick. It's all a matter of which lore you're using. Yeah, which is interesting because I asked one of my co-authors this question. What happens if a zombie bites a vampire, which is hypothetically undead to begin with, which really can't be infected? Right, and that's, uh, I believe that's actually how they decided it in the Deadliest Warrior episode. I, I kind of skimmed it when it came out, and that was quite some time ago, but I believe they were immune to the zombie virus, and that's why they'd win in the end, and, that, and the intelligence aspect to them. And they just need that one bite, correct? Right, it's, I believe that the actual vampires turned out to be immune to the zombie virus. So it's fast food versus a buffet, like a walker would be involved in trying to eat a normal person. <laughs> right. And then I think we run into all these problems with hybrids and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get a little more serious in terms of asking Alex what his organization actually does in case there is a zombie apocalypse and maybe you want to become a zombie warrior. Oh, can't wait. You are listening to Matters of the Mind. The doc is online on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. We'll be right back. Annoying, frustrating. Of course, you're referring to me. Some days, enlightening, engaging. And now you're referring to yourself. Most days. <laughs> Just a few of the words employed to describe our show, The Mots. You'll come up with your own. Hi, we're The Mots, Paul and Carol. Inviting you to join us weekdays at 2 on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. And there's an encore performance with Mots Weekend. You can check us out at themots.ca. Here's another word for you. Oh, I wouldn't go there. You're listening to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco, on Radio That Doesn't Suck.com and RTDS.ca. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Matters of the Mind. I'm Dr. Peter Sacco, and with me is my co-host Todd Miller and Alex Rakojevich, which is now going to talk about something that's really enlightening because he's the president of or at the Zombie Squad in the Southern Ontario chapter. So, Alex, I guess the very first question inquiring minds want to know, namely us here talking to you and anybody and everybody else, what is the Zombie Squad? Well, Zombie Squad is an organization that is all about disaster preparedness and personal preparation. We also have a very strong mandate of charity work and community involvement. We are a U.S.-based 501c3 nonprofit charity whose mission it is to actually educate people about the importance of being prepared for the inevitable zombie apocalypse. When we're not getting people ready for zombies, we're getting them ready for the lesser disasters like hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, you know, those things that never happen. <laughs> okay, so let's play this, you know, let's take it from this side here. Say that you get a person that 
wants to join because they want so bad to go zombie hunting and want to go kill a zombie. Is there a psych test involved in membership or do you do a background check? Well, joining the organization, uh, we are a nonprofit charity. We are an educational charity. And to join the organization, what happens is you pay your $15, it goes towards the charity aspect of the organization, you get an ID card, and you kind of get some special membership on the forum, and then you're a paid member of Zombie Squad. That doesn't confer you many benefits other than being able to get involved with some of the Zombie Squad-only events. That said, we are an inclusive organization. We get people involved in a lot of our events who aren't paid members. Uh, joining the Zombie Squad is it's, it's all about getting involved as opposed to necessarily just paying for a membership. Okay, so I got the, the question that I've been meaning to ask you since I last ran into you in the grocery store, which you said you guys actually do demonstrations how to apprehend and remove a zombie, correct? Uh, we don't do it on how to apprehend and remove a zombie. We do demonstrations on how to get people ready for disaster. Okay. Primarily zombies because... Well, what we are, we were all about getting people ready for disaster. We use zombies as a tongue-in-cheek sort of humorous way to get people actually involved in being prepared. Because they're a lot more fun than forming up Tornado Squad. You can have a good time talking about zombies, and quite honestly, if you're ready for zombies, you're ready for anything. We are very much about getting people ready for real-world situations, but we do it in a fun sort of way. So I guess in a roundabout way, this is kind of like if I said, okay, let's do an income tax group, something, you know, in terms of something that takes your money, sucks you dry. But we nudge, nudge, and we're going, no, this is going to be our vampire group. Right, absolutely. It's the sort of thing like being prepared to fight the vampires who are draining your wallet is very similar to being prepared to fight the zombies who are endangering your life and well-being. They're, They're a metaphor for what is wrong. I went to your site, and I have to be honest, you know, you've got what is the, the ZS or ZS, services, store, form, calendar, downloads, and I just hovered over services for a minute, and, and out popped zombie extermination, and that just just leapt out at me like, you know, it was just flashing, right. uh, and that's part of your, your mission is, again, getting people prepared so that they can outlast the zombies, Rather right. than rather than go out and exterminate them like a like a zombie militia, or is there such a thing? Well, the thing is that Zombie Squad uses that as again a tongue-in-cheek way to get people involved. They'll come, they'll check out the website, they'll see a whole bunch of guys in tactical gear claiming to be professional zombie exterminators, and you know what? We're probably the professionals for zombie extermination out there. But I'll let you know. While we may charge exorbitant rates to exterminate a zombie, we've never actually done it yet. Because we've never run into a real-life zombie as of yet. So FEMA might be calling you in the U.S. at some point saying, okay, we actually need some zombie hunters, and they may press you into service at some point in the near future. That would be very amusing if it were to happen. Fly you in 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 helicopters and (laughs) then airdrop you into locations all over North America? That, That would be very entertaining. And I think that's what you guys get. Well, what's kind of interesting, because you guys would actually have to prove it. Like, hey, look what we got. We got... You know, if you do it the Michonne way on The Walking Dead, where she's actually hacked off their arms, their lower jaws, walks them around like reindeer on Santa's sled, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. Whereas, and this, you know, all joking aside, Alex, there are people out there that go around to be claiming they're Ghostbusters. And they'll go say, hey, we caught your ghost or we caught the ghost in your house. It's gone. 
And so if you were, you know, if I say, okay, can I see the ghost? What does it look like? And you're saying, well, of course you can't see it. It's invisible. I think they got that kind of thing going for them. They can actually pull the invisibility factor. Right. Well, we're not, we're not actually about that. Like I said, Zombie Squad isn't about specifically killing zombies. It's a fun way to get people involved, especially a demographic who normally wouldn't be involved in getting prepared. It tends to appeal to the younger people, you know, 20-somethings, early 30-somethings. It tends to appeal to people who are more into the pop culture. There's a lot of geeks involved, which is great. And this is a demographic, you know, university students who aren't usually thinking about what-if scenarios. They're too busy trying to make it through their exams and move on to the next day. And they're the ones who are sometimes the most vulnerable to a disaster. The disaster does not necessarily need to be zombies. It could be a natural disaster, such as a hurricane or an earthquake. Or an ice storm. Yeah, a major ice storm shutting things down. Or it could be a personal disaster, like the loss of a loved one or your house catching fire or even losing your job. And I'm glad you bring that up, Alex, because, uh, I, and I'm glad you do, because people listening uh, are not going to get this idea that you guys are actually doing these summer camps where you guys teach people how to go and hunt and kill zombies because ironically when i was at this comic con there was actually a group that have these little camps how they train you and you can go and attack you know i guess you would call them wang chung dummy zombies and that sort of stuff <laughs> right. which, I, which you guys are not we are not at all we are about we we are about teaching skills but we're not a formal educational institute we're all about enabling people to learn on their own we share information we build communities Small communities where people can get together with other like-minded people and learn together. You learn as much off other people as you do going out to do things together. For example, my chapter, we a whole bunch of us all bought in together to go get our first aid and CPR together. And then just last year, a whole bunch of us who wanted to start getting into hunting, we all went and took a hunting class together. So we negotiated a group rate and got a better rate at it to build skills amongst ourselves. But we also teach each other. There's a big Zombie Squad-hosted convention, for lack of a better word, called ZombieCon that happens every year in Irondale, Missouri. It is a week-long retreat. You're camping on the side of a mountain at a 45-degree angle on top of sharp rocks, and you spend a week learning from each other. We've got experts in all sorts of different fields from all walks of life who come and share what they know. I have a culinary background. I worked in kitchens for years. I teach a gourmet campfire cooking seminar. We've got one of our guys down in St. Louis who is the best fire starter I've ever seen in my life. I've seen him start a fire, you know, with things that you didn't even know you could start a fire with, and he can teach you about 90 different ways to do it. So we all get together, we share our skills, and we teach each other. It's about building strong communities and strong social groups and teaching one another. I could have used the, the fire guy this winter, as we all could have, uh, those people that were in the southern Ontario, you know, upper western New York area with the, the ice storm that we had. It was horrific. I mean, my barbecue wouldn't even go. It was frozen shut. So, you know, building a little fire in my backyard would have come in handy. But Oh, absolutely. A couple of years ago, I went out and bought myself a wood stove and installed it in the house. And this year, it proved to be an amazing decision. I noticed on the site, it says, making dead things deader since 2003. It's, it's relatively a new uh, organization. What 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 did you do before? Was there any formal uh, zombie training or zombie groups? Or I'm I, I'm not certain about the history of other zombie groups. Uh, what happened with us? It was uh, the zombie squad was formed in St. Louis 
was a group of friends who had gone out and watched a zombie movie and kind of sat around talking about what would you do. And they decided that the characters in the movie were just very dumb, as is very common amongst zombie movie tropes. They started talking about what would you do to make it better. And it kind of started off as a joke, forming the zombie squad, the zombie elimination task force. But then a web forum started up. People started actually coming together to talk about, you know, what would you do to survive better? The organization grew from there. At first, the, the organization was a big joke. But over the years, it has actually developed into an actual educational charity that teaches and educates and is a very powerful resource for people to learn about how to get, how to get prepared for themselves and look after themselves. And, and like you said, it's just, I think you guys are more prepared than any or, or most of our, you know, so-called emergency agencies, because, I mean, you're, you're sharing your experience, as you said, amongst yourselves, you know, who's good at this, who's good at that, and then you spread that, and then you go out and, and train the greater public about all these wonderful uh, survival techniques. Well, I wouldn't say we're better than our first responders and our professionals at it. They are the experts, and they, they have a much higher skill level than any of us do. But what we're able to do is provide a grassroots-level education to bring a certain baseline across the board. You know, if we're helping people and encouraging them to learn to do first aid, for example, and we've got, you know, 20 or 30 people in our organization who have all done first aid, and we've done camping events and other events together, and we're used to communicating as a unit, we might one day be able to augment the actual first responders in a real disaster situation. It's not about replacing them, and it's not about being better than them. It's about being able to look after ourselves first and then help other people in our community second. I had one kind of interesting question, which kind of piggybacks on what um, Todd had brought up, and somebody had actually emailed me this in, knowing you were going to be on the the show for this, this taping, Alex. And I guess the question is... Um, could or does this idea uh, of what you guys are doing create a paranoia of sorts? Um, or does it draw out the people that are generally paranoid for this kind of stuff? And do they are they more likely the ones to show up in your group? This was actually sent in by a guy named Doug. Uh, what I found is that a lot of the people who tend to be the really paranoid ones don't tend to want to fit in too well to our organization ones that are really, really paranoid out there, the world is going to end, I need to, you know, I, I need to stockpile weapons and ammunition, and those types of people come out and see that we're building a community and that we're looking to work together, and they tend to drive themselves off fairly quickly, actually. I um, don't think it's so much about building paranoia as taking a realistic threat assessment. I'm not someone who's thinking that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, I don't view it as terribly likely that we're about to have, you know, a Martian invasion or a nuclear war tomorrow, but I do want to get ready for, you know, a major ice storm, which I view as a very possible event here in southern Ontario, or possibly, you know, we've, we saw in the 50s Hurricane Hazel hitting Toronto, being ready for the power to be out for an extended period of time, or just being prepared for the personal disasters. You know, what am I going to do if I suddenly lose my job? So what is it? I'm looking at your site and you've got a lot of chapters. What does it take for someone to start up a chapter? Is it a geographical, um, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, allocation or is it where there's an intense need? How, 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 is, that, how is that decided? <clears throat> the chapters are based on, first of all, the willingness of people to actually run them. It's a 100% or volunteer organization. So you have to have a dedicated group of people who want to actually go through the effort and 
make a chapter happen. And a chapter can be a fair bit of work. Uh, we also try to avoid too much overlap. If there's another chapter right in the same area, it's kind of encouraged that you go work with them. Basically, the, the sort of general rule of thumb is about a two-hour drive. You don't really want them overlapping in that area. But to actually start up a chapter, it involves getting involved with the organization, you know, getting on the forums, talking to people, networking a little, getting to know what we're really about first. And then at that point, you need to get together five members who wish to actually become paid members and are willing to put in the work. You apply for chapter status, and then you have to successfully pull off a charity event to be able to qualify without using the Zombie Squad name. And then once you become a chapter, you're mandated to run several community and charity events a year and several open meetings each year as well. So it's really a, a way of, of uh, not furthering your brand, but exposing the good work that you do by, by being involved in those charitable events. Well, absolutely. What we, love, what we like to do is be involved at the community level and interact with the community. That's something that we value very highly. It's building communities. It's building a network of people that you can work with making the world a better place, helping others, doing good. That's very much a core principle of what we do. So overall, Alex, what would you say the membership is, I guess, North American-wise? Like, how big is this? Uh, we have, when it comes to active people who come to the forums and discuss things with us and are involved in our online community, we have upwards of 50,000 members. When you're oh, wow. talking about people who are actively involved in real life, you know, going to meetings, going to events, making things happen we have several thousand so would you say this is a growing trend now you guys are getting bigger and bigger Oh, absolutely and we've been growing like crazy you know back in 2005 we started out with three chapters the st louis headquarters it was the new jersey chapter and the southern ontario chapter we were the first three now we're up to 54 chapters or 52 chapters worldwide um i noticed that you're you're in the uk but it's currently inactive so i guess they're not a expecting an impending zombie uh, <laughs> apocalypse unfortunately yeah, we had a we had a chapter going in the uk and the chapter president there had decided to step down i believe he went away to university and there just wasn't anybody who wanted to step up and take a leadership role in that case so the chapter became inactivated so i guess alex for anybody listening um that's tuning in right now and mm -hmm. they are really curious about this what is the best way that they can go about joining your organization or learning about it could they come to a meeting can they oh, come absolutely. to they can go first the easiest way is going zombiehunters.org that is our website you can go onto the forums there register for an account the forums are a fantastic place to get preparedness information there is a ton of resources available you can follow us on facebook facebook.com forward slash ZSC003, that's the Southern Ontario chapter. You can also email ZSC003 at zombiehunters.org. That'll put you in touch with our chapter. But there are also chapters all over the world, all over the United States at the moment. You can find them through the Zombie Squad forums, and you can get involved there. You can follow Zombie Squad HQ on Facebook and Twitter. You can get involved with us through social media, and going to the forums is probably your best actual resource. Very good, Alex. Very, very good. Um, and if you so are I... interested in getting getting in, or getting involved locally, we host a meeting in Niagara Falls on the first Friday of every month. And just out of curiosity, I had one other person actually just text me. Um, they know that I'm on the show right now. They want to know, are you guys in any way, shape, or form affiliated with any of these zombie walks in the Niagara region? Officially affiliated, no, but we have worked with them in the past. We've shown up at the St. Catherine Zombie Walk a few times, and we've helped them out. What we usually do is show up and 
marshal the forces, so we, we kind of act as a security group making sure that people are obeying traffic laws and the like. We show up in our, you know, our costumes, our black tactical gear, looking all mean, and we're the official zombie hunters organizing the zombies in that case. And what if one of these zombie walkers gets out of hand? Do you, like, kind of do your mojo on them? <laughs> no, we tell them to smarten up and obey the laws because they don't want to get arrested. I think you guys need a float in the in the Toronto Santa Claus parade. I think, you know, that would make a wonderful float for next year's parade. <laughs> I think it would be fantastic to do a Santa Claus parade float. I would love to. <laughs> Anyways, Alex, thank you so much for joining us on our show today. It's an absolute slice. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while because I've had a lot of people asking me, talking to me, is there any sort of psychological parallels um, to this whole zombie infatuation, and I'd absolutely say, yeah, in, in some ways, shape, or form, there are because one of the, as one person put it, asked me or put it best to me, they said, are we actually scaring ourselves silly by waiting for something that is probably going to show up just around the same time as a leprechaun, a unicorn, and the Easter bunny all in the same show up? Right. Well, no, Arthur, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure coming and talking to you. And it's, it's, I'm very happy we got a chance to come out and, you know, spread the message a little bit. You're, of course, listening to Matters of the Mind. The Doc is online on Listen Up Talk Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Have you ever spent the day mulling over receipts, spreadsheets, and the numbers? It isn't a lot of fun, is it? Especially when you have a business to run, sales to close, and clients to work with. The last thing you want to do is look all day at the books. So get the expert advice and wisdom from a seasoned professional, Bob Conway. At Robert K. Conway CGA, Bob will come and meet with you, analyze the numbers, assess your tax situation, and show you how to put more tax dollars in your pockets than Revenue Canada's. And he'll also provide you with ideas, wisdom, and solutions to help you track your numbers so you can plan properly and strategically and really begin to grow your business. Are you ready to work on and not in your business? Then Bob's not only your uncle, but Bob is your man. Robert K. Conway CGA. Call 416-544-9655 and get your business in gear. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. To matters of the mind, or should we say matters that pertain to a potential zombie apocalypse. And we've had a really good show, I think, especially on a subject I'd never thought I'd be talking about on a mental health show in a million years. Yes, matters of the zombie mind. I think that's our offshoot show that we're working on for next season. <laughs> it's a call-in show, so if any of you zombies listening want to call in and, and you know speak to Dr. Sacco, you're more than welcome to. And I'm just wondering, Todd, do you think we gave anybody an idea to do a movie or a show on zombie clowns? That, that would be pretty creepy. 
you know, I, I don't know if I have uh, anyone's phone number. Um, but, yeah, we might. That would be, you know, it part two, zombie clown. I think. Tim, I don't know. Tim Curry hasn't been working a lot, has he? I don't know. Um, yeah. I think he's doing more of the laid back stuff nowadays. Yeah. No, that would be that would be quite a scary thing. When we were talking about that, I immediately went, yeah, that that would be really creepy because I couldn't watch it. I don't know why I never mm-hmm. watched it and I couldn't watch it. But thinking of a zombie clown would just probably. Uh, yeah, that would be turning the TV off right away. You know, it was really interesting. One of the things I want to <clears throat> add to this, uh, definitely, because I talked about um, this article that was in the Toronto Sun Monday, April the 14th, uh, where this this fellow, actually an amateur statistician, published his findings on his award-winning blog, Extreme Engineering. He also showed one other factor that ties into potential... Um, Places that make um, zombies attack, i.e. Toronto, London, Ontario, more prevalent. And he says other factors that influence a city's ranking on his list includes its obesity rate. Slow-moving zombies catch large prey easier and physical activity. The more nimble a population, the easier to escape. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in talking with Alex, uh, you know, about him... And even you, you know, sort of comparing it to, um, you know, like H1N1 or some sort of pandemic, pandemic, it's really not that far away from it. And even he even he said that, you know, having that being compromised mentally by some sort of virus wouldn't be too far away from a zombie apocalypse. So while you say now it'll never happen, you know, there could be something very similar that that could happen. You know, and I think that's just what it is. Uh, we live in a society um, where we look for something bad oftentimes to happen before we, you know, we respond more so. Like we're more of a, a responsive society versus a proactive kind of society. And I think, you know, when it comes to these types of diseases and viruses, um there's always this expectation or worry that it's going to become an epidemic or a plague. And I think, you know what it is, I think, to a great degree, Todd, and I think one of the greatest epidemics or plagues is viral um, marketing, um, viral networking, because that is a virus and it's out there immediately. And I think what scares a lot of people or what gets them concerned with all this stuff is, is the news is bombarding us fast and furious, hitting us in every which way, literally within seconds of it occurring. And I think when we look at it that way, I, I think as, as this Doug had emailed me, he says, are we scaring ourselves silly based on just we watch too much TV, we have too much media at our fingertips 24-7 and we're in the palm of our hands. And I like to think maybe, yeah, maybe that is it. You know, there's there's always something else to worry about if it isn't, you know, not enough money to, to pay your bills or the taxes. And then you start getting into these otherworldly fears like a zombie attack or, you know, a pandemic or, you know. But it just it just proved that the things that are, especially in our area, that we consider highly unlikely, like a uh, an ice storm that compromised us for weeks and weeks and weeks, it just makes you realize, you know, hey, you got to just sort of keep these things in the back of your mind as a possibility and, and be prepared for them. And that's part of their mission at Zombie Squad is to really get you prepared for these real world things. And in the event, sometime in the future, if one of these so-called, uh, 
you know, unhappenable things happens, you're you're prepared. Yeah, and I like the the fact that you know I think Alex put it best. It's basically teaching individual responsibility, being able to fend and manage for yourself, versus always waiting for somebody else to come and fix things. And I think a lot of that ties into Todd is that we're in a day and age of entitlement. That even some of the smallest things we don't know how to do anymore because we are so codependent on technology, codependent on others and other possibilities to fix things. When, you know, and, and just to kind of throw this out in passing, I remember once reading an expert that said, you know, with all our technology, all our vaccines and everything you can imagine, even these threats of the zombie apocalypse, it's probably going to be something as simple as the common cold that's going to wipe us all out. Yeah, it could be. And, and, you know, one valuable lesson that they're teaching you is how to be more, um, again, self-reliant. Um, and, and as you pointed out, we're in, we're in an age of entitlement and, and high reliance on technology. And I consider my barbecue a piece of technology. But when it's under four inches of ice, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even get to the, 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 the tanks to get them back to the store to fill them up. I had two empty tanks and they were frozen solid. It was just... You know, and then, of course, I got to the gas station and they had no power anyway. So it's just one of these things that I thought during our conversation, wow, I could probably personally be more self-sufficient in, in various ways. I just need to Absolutely. find that fire starting guy first. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, everybody want to thank you all for joining us, tuning in. And who knows what our next fear might be? Who knows? Could be mermaids. Hey, that can't be that bad. It, it just might be. If you have any comments on this show, of course, we're on Facebook at Listen Up Talk Radio. We're on Twitter at Listen Up Talk. By all means, get your feedback to us. And of course, connect with Dr. Sacco on the web at petersacco.com. Find his books on Amazon. We will catch you right back here next Wednesday at 8 p.m. on Listen Up Talk Radio on your internet radio at talk-radio.ca. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at at listenuptalk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pills. That man is not your man. And that's why I'm...